0: You are listening to National Security Law Today. We are back with an all-new episode of National Security Law Today, your source for national security law during quarantine, blizzards, and other acts of God. (laughs) I'm Yvette. We're recording on November 9th, twenty twenty at a time when President Trump has not yet conceded the election and the transition teams have not, as far as we know, begun the traditional meetings with current executive branch officials. And I'm Nicole. Quick disclaimer, because lawyers need and live by disclaimers. The lawyers on NSLT are always here in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or
1: company. I'm Elisa. We're here today to discuss national security law challenges, gaps, and vacuums in times of transition But we also mourn the loss of Jeopardy host Alex Trebek, who died this weekend. And for those of you who don't know, Jeopardy is a game show on television that tested your knowledge of sort of elevated trivia. So like history, civics, and culture. And in homage to Jeopardy, we will start with a clue today. Yvette, we need categories, don't we? Yes. So the category
0: is national security law, as you might have guessed. The clue... A Russian registered foreign agent operating in the U.S. under an abbreviated name to soften its origins,
1: now claiming widespread voter fraud. Bing, bing, bing. You have to call on me that like Alex does. Elisa. What is RT, a.k.a. Russian television, a registered foreign agent of Russia slash the Kremlin? Uh, As mentioned before... No case alleging voter fraud has gained traction yet, and several have been dismissed as of this recording. As our friend Rob Dannenberg, former CIA station chief in Moscow, told us in the podcast that uh, he was nice enough to do for us, the goal of Putin and the Kremlin is to sow discord and make Americans doubt our essential democratic institutions and, of course, our free and fair elections. So this is less to support Trump, or to hurt Biden, and more to attempt to divide the United States population. Uh, we would note that Dr. Scott Atlas, a member of the Trump administration's coronavirus task force, recently apologized for appearing on RT. Apparently, he was fooled by the initials. He explained that he wasn't aware that it was a registered foreign agent. Hmm. All right, Yvette, this, I, got, I got one for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. OK this government agency is responsible for, among other things, providing resourcing for incoming presidential transition teams. Ding, ding, ding. Yvette?
0: What is the Government Services Administration? Most inside the Beltway types think of this agency as the one charged with care federal buildings. It made headlines earlier in the Trump administration because it holds the lease to the Trump International Hotel And there were several lawsuits about that building and potential violations of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. Today it's in the news because GSA Administrator Emily Murphy is not permitting the Biden transition team to formally begin its work with funding and office space. The Presidential Transition Act of 1963 says that the GSA Administrator, quote, ascertains uh, the people who are, quote, the apparent successful candidates for the Office of the President and Vice President, respectively, unquote, for this process to begin. However, presumably because President Trump has filed lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada to challenge the apparent results of the election, this Trump appointee does not yet ascertain the apparent winners. The last time this happened was during the 2000 election between President Bush and Vice President Gore, but at the time, the entire election hinged on a call uh, about the the voting tabulations in one state rather than on many states and there were lots of complications with the physical act of counting votes. For more on this, please refer back to our podcast with Professor Ned Boley. I would note that Chris Liu, who ran President Obama's transition te- team, tweeted about the national security implications of a delayed transfer. Enemies may perceive it as a vulnerability. All right, Elisa, I've got your next clue. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. This social media giant has marked a n- great number of President Trump's recent tweets as false or misleading. Ding ding ding. Elisa,
1: oh, thanks for calling on me. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what is Twitter? Uh, you got is, it. Yeah, and my man Jack Dorsey, let me just say this in Jack Dorsey's defense, not loving the beard, okay? He's a he's a he's a lovely thing to behold. Needs to get rid of it. Uh, Let me say he's a yoga guy, one. And two, the dude is living half the year uh, in Africa, which I think is lots of fun and pretty cool. All right, I'm finished. All right. He recently testified before the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, uh, and he was criticized by Republicans for unfair bias against conservatives. So tech watchers uh, who anticipate that regardless of the makeup of Congress, Reforms to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which provides immunity for uh, content, whether it's organic or otherwise, um, those changes are probably coming. We don't know what they'll look like yet. And you can bet a lot of lawyers in the city of Washington are getting very rich and very fat because that's coming. Would you agree, that? Uh, I may. <laughs> okay. All um, right. So Twitter has also said that after the inauguration in January, the company will no longer afford President Trump's tweets um, a sort of special treatment as the public interest, under the public interest exception, and instead will treat them like tweets from any other account.
0: And it's hard to get uh, to, to move on to a new clue without mentioning um, what Facebook, uh, another a major social media company who has a major role in elections, has done. Uh, they have done things like suppress content for uh, people trying to organize violent protests uh, in opposition to the apparent uh, results of the election. Uh, and they have also uh, done work to suppress false and misleading content.
1: That is a big step forward for the platforms, Yvette. That is huge. They're looking very much more adult to me than they did in 2016. So good effort and frankly, excellent effort um, to Alex Stamos out there and all those organizations that are tracing down these false foreign based hashtags and everything else that they're doing and may they multiply and continue to do work on behalf of all sides. Because none of us benefit from these kinds of false messages. And it,
0: it, was, it, it is very interesting. So a cynic might say it's because of the 230 reforms that some of these social media um, companies are taking these kinds of proactive steps. Um, but there's also a maturation within those companies. Uh, I have been in this world for a minute and I recognize that, that you know, these companies really are trying to do the right thing. Um, It's just a very challenging undertaking when you're being consistently attacked by foreign agents, bots, and other bad actors.
1: Yeah. Plus, there's just, uh, I mean, it's an avalanche of content on any day. So, all right. Now, Yvette, are you ready? Ready and waiting. Okay. The clue is this team is comprised of Vivek Murthy, former Surgeon General of the United States, David Kessler former FDA administrator under George H.W. Bush, um, Luciana Borio, director for medical and bio defense preparedness, previously on Trump's National Security Council until 2019.
0: What is the Biden transition team's COVID pandemic task force? There are tons of medical professionals and scientists on the proposed tax task force as well as economists, since the impact on the economy has been and will be massive. And there are a lot of women on the task force, including Dr. Marcela Nunez-Smith, an associate professor of internal medicine, public health and management at Yale University and associate dean for health equity research at the Yale School of Medicine. For more, you should turn back to our podcast with uh, Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, who worked on President Obama's Ebola pandemic task force. So she talks in great detail about how multiple nations came together to tackle Ebola. And I imagine we will be um, bringing back a lot of those uh, different tactics and techniques to address coronavirus going ahead. Also, uh, we should note that today, Pfizer announced that their vaccine is looking very promising. Apparently, the vaccine that they have has demonstrated 90% efficiency in trial against test subjects. Uh, but for an unknown amount of time. All right, we've got another clue. Elisa, are you ready?
1: I am, I have my buzzer, I'm ready. All right, here we go. In a letter, he wrote about them, quote, I am
0: weary to death all day with a variety of perplexing circumstances, disturbed at the conduct of the militia, whose behavior and want of discipline has done great injury to the other troops who have never had officers except in a few instances worth the bread they eat. He added, in confidence, I tell you that I never was in such an unhappy divided state since I was born.
1: Uh, ding, ding, ding. Sorry. <laughs> Go. <Alisa. gasps> who, who was George Washington? And uh, he actually wrote this in a letter among others. And by the way, he had no uh, particular deep love for these militias. He found them irritating and yet on some level convenient. Uh, he wrote this to Lund Washington, who was his nephew in, on September 30th of 1776. Um, he found that generally the militia were very undisciplined. The root cause of loss of battles Um, at Long Island and Manhattan. He feared that they could cause serious damage to a fragile new nation, given their tendency to go rogue. You heard it here. Let me say there was one, however, that scored a massive victory that did have some discipline. And that one was the King's Mountain, mountain men who came out of the hills to defeat the uh, British army, an entire uh, regiment of the British army. Uh, I felt he th- probably felt a little bit fonder of that one for whatever length of time necessary to sort of use their uh, manpower, if you will. Uh, but you heard it here. And he uh, he did not. This is hardly stand back and stand by. It's more like these people are driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to
0: hear more about a more modern view of militias and uh, current threats, Uh, and whether or not malicious should be considered current threats, tune into our recent
1: podcast on malicious. All right, Yvette, I've got one for you. Are you ready? You betcha. Okay. He was the main sponsor of this very important national security law, which resulted in access to classified information by litigants in criminal cases. Particularly important about this was it made it possible for people charged with crimes to have Access to classified information where it was um, necessary to their defense, uh, both relevant and necessary. And he did this back in 1978. What was this law and what prompted, what two events prompted this? Ding, ding, ding. You know what? I think I'm going to call on you, Yvette. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who is then Senator Joe Biden? A man of the moment. You may have heard of him. He is considered to be the president elect. Uh, by all major, major media news sources. The law was the Classified Information Procedures Act, which was in part a response to the trend of gray mailing in which intelligence actors charged with crimes like those identified in COINTELPRO would try to get their cases dismissed by threatening to expose classified information in the course of their defenses and the limits on prosecution because of the inability of prosecutors to use classified information to prove their cases.
1: Right. I'm going to give that one a daily double score, even though we did not do the daily double whoosh. Um, (laughs) I I want you to know that I was thinking of it uh, before you answered the question. I could see that board. And just remember, by the way, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If you want to win Jeopardy, really pay attention to the categories. You heard it here. So Yvette, you've taken the lead uh, and you're entitled to, you've won. And here's what you get. Okay. Ready? Good karma in perpetuity, all right? Which I would point out is also something that has been uh, given to Nicole, the woman who can do literally anything. All right, and last but not least, he claimed to have the resignation letter ready to serve until he was fired. Ding, ding, ding. Who is now former Secretary of Defense,
0: Mark Esper.
1: Oh, I can't give you that a point event. You did not wait to be called on, but go ahead. What well, you, uh, you have some thoughts on this? Uh, you know it's a technicality, but look, rules are rules. All right. What What do you have to say about this? Not a good day for DoD. Not a good day for Mister Esper, perhaps because this occurred in a pause tweet. tweet. A tweet, and it was a pretty, you know, as as
0: President. Uh, Trump's tweets go. This one was pretty context-free. He he just said, uh, "Mark Esper has been terminated. I would like to thank him for his service." End of tweet. Um, So (laughs) this is highly unusual, especially considering uh, where we stand in uh, you know with the election. Um, Typically, you would like to keep your main cabinet heads on through the transition, you'd like to have warm handoffs, especially for um, as consequential an agency as the Department of Defense is. It's an incredibly complex uh, organ of the US government, um, one of the biggest employers in the entire world, and to summarily fire uh, Secretary Esper without a transition, even to a replacement is incredibly unusual and, you know, uh, significant in national security spaces. So. Okay,
1: so fair enough. And uh, obviously uh, not a thrilling not a thrilling day for anybody at DOD, particularly for Mr. Esper, who, um, you know, I hope has made his way uh, across the street into Pentagon City to enjoy at least a craft beer and kind of get past his whatever. Um, this is Indeed. a bad day. Yeah, this is all very, uh, you know, interesting. Obviously, well, with any political appointee as we have told you in prior podcasts one of which we can hyperlink here uh, which we did with um, Joel if you guys recall would uh, was very instructive on uh, the right to remove is what they call it nice euphemism so he's been removed uh, the removal power of the executive to persons heading uh, executive branch agencies which is a you know pretty broad, Apparently pretty broad authority and, and he cited some good case law, if you're curious. Um, and, you know, rumor afoot before this, uh, it wasn't a rumor, but it was reported by the Washington Post today was that Mr. Esper had been circulating um, or discussing uh, circulating with, uh, I guess, friends, some sort of resignation letter, but um, it's hard to know what really prompted this today, if that was uh, indeed the case. So thank you, um, Yvette.
0: Right. You are and, um, a and Jeopardy
1: min- champion. You're a
0: Jeopardy <laughs> champion. I would also mention, since we do have quite a robust podcast uh, around these parts, and we cover a r- variety of subjects, I would mention as well um, our discussion of um, the civil unrest and the authorities that the president might use to activate um, National Guard troops or other types of armed troops in order to quell um, protests. Uh, we released a podcast in the context of the uh, protests that were happening around the country uh, during the George Floyd uh, season of protests, to be honest, and what the what the uh, response of the federal and local governments were. So please check back in uh, if you want Further details and review that podcast uh, as you are um, able to do.
1: Yeah, and and listen to to friend of the cast Joel Brenner. Um, Joel's Joel's very very insightful on on the authority of any executive uh, to remove individuals. You will probably really enjoy that, especially if you are, especially if you have a long term memory of some of these things. So anyway, all I have to say to our listeners, and I mean this, is Alec Trebek and Jeopardy forever. Um, may he and Merv Griffin, who developed that show, uh, rest in peace, or if that sounds like a dull eternity to them, may they enjoy an unending party, uh, whichever one they would prefer. Uh, and Yvette and Nicole, thank you so much for being uh, my teammates on this all-female podcast team, where we love our male guests and our occasional male hosts, no exclusion, but it's, been, it's just so much fun to do this with both of you and thank
0: you for listening to national security law today we will bring you more national security law news next week as this post-election season unfolds remember to hit that subscribe button on your app of choice and be sure to send us comments and feedback you can find us on twitter at abanatsac or send us an email at national at americanbar.org
1: all right and the standing committee on law and national security will continue to keep you informed about fast-moving legal developments And don't forget, the lawyers hosting this podcast are here in their individual capacity,
0: not on behalf of any agency or firm. Be well, everyone. Be safe. We're all in this together, even though we're apart and even though we have different views. We will come together and overcome through education, knowledge, and growth. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.